database is a collection of structured information or data typically stored electronically in a computer system. Now, a data architecture is a framework of models, policies, rules, and standards that an organization uses to manage data and its flows through the organization. Now, given how and where data today is created, consume and manage. You have to wonder whether the approaches to data, data architectures and databases are still effective in today's hybrid multi-cloud approach to doing business. In this podcast for Future CIO, we are joined by Mr. Kartik Raghunathan, co-founder and CTO for Yugabyte DB, to give us his view on the state of data, data architectures and databases, and more importantly, how do we future-proof our database strategies in today's complex run-from-anywhere digital society? Arctic, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you, Alan, for having me, and hi, everybody. Very excited. Now, let's start off with the basics. Could you define for us what is a data architecture and how does it relate to an organization's database strategy? Absolutely, Alan. Like, um, If you think about one of the big changes that's happening in the industry at large, everything is becoming digital, right? Like, This is what people refer to as digital transformation, right? Now, digital transformation is the process of making data available where you want it and how you want it and really quickly, right, at your fingertips while keeping it secure. In order to facilitate that, like as you can imagine, there will be different types of applications, different types of people wanting to consume this data in different ways, right, in a variety of different ways. So how you lay out your data how it gets generated, how it gets transformed, how it gets stored, and how it gets secured are all part of your data architecture. So, And this data architecture is what lets you continue to onboard and make available more and more data to be able to produce and handle larger amounts of data and to serve this data for the ever-evolving business needs. So, So at a high level, I'd say it's how you fit these pieces together in order to make data work towards a business end. Uh, where does this data architecture and how it's evolving? We've heard a lot of different designs or architectures around it. Uh, where does it impact a database strategy most significantly? Yeah, that's a great question. So before we go into the database strategy, right, like you would have heard of the word DevOps, right? It became very popular, right? And this is really about blurring the lines between operations and development to be able to, you know, make them interchangeable, make operations happen like code, right? And then there's a twist from that, like one step away where people said it's DevSecOps, right? where you put in security into the mix and you start to blend, right? One of the things that I personally talk to a lot of people about and something for them to just you know, think about is data DevSecOps, right? Like even data is one of those pillars that you have to consider upfront. And that's because a DevSecOps strategy or a DevOps strategy devoid of the data architecture means you're building a lot of good stuff, but will it last or will you have to keep revisiting it as your data needs evolve, right? So in thinking about the data side, one of the key components, the thing that stores, handles, and serves your data for queries is your database. So among other things, one of the core components to think about is what is or are the portfolio of databases that you know, you're going to use as an enterprise in order to bring all this together. The database strategy comes from the fact that as you start digitizing, you have more data coming in, you have more access patterns, and your business is evolving over time, requiring your database to do newer or more flexible things. So the choice of the database dictates what you will be able to achieve in your data architecture and thereby eventually affecting what it means to be a data-first company. 
In Asia, and speaking to analysts and end users, the consensus I'm getting is that by and large, many organizations will take a hybrid approach towards how they choose to run their business applications. Some will be on-prem, some in public, some in private clouds, and there will be a mix of SaaS and off-the-shelf applications that they will run, as well as their own proprietary developed applications. Allowing for regulations such as data sovereignty, privacy, and all that, how should the CIO or CTO architect their database strategy so that it's aligned to both the business as well as the applications that are drawing content from the database? Yeah, this is a great question. This is a, this is a really good question. So firstly, let's parse down like a, a bunch of things, very important and critical things you said from the perspective of databases and data. So the first thing is that, like as you said, this has to operate on-premise as well as in public clouds, both. So that means that for starters, you need a database that works on-premise and in public clouds, but more than just works, it's important to think about the architecture of the database and the applications on top of the data. Now, every time you make a shift from on-prem to a public cloud or vice versa, if the full architecture of the database and the surrounding application completely changes, you lose mobility, you, you completely make silos, right? You make silos not just of applications and application developers, you make silos of your operational folks, of your security folks, you make a silo of the entire organization, right? And if there is an application that needs to move from one side to the other, or you need to borrow people's expertise from one side to the other, it makes it very hard. So the first step is to really think about on-prem as private cloud and not as a distinct world from the public cloud. Right? So what are the fundamental principles here? From a data perspective, it's important to think about commodity hardware, to think about failures being normed, to think about provisioning on demand as needed, think about an API strategy for the management and the life cycle and security. So it's and the operational ease, right? So it's important to think about all of this. So so that is one, which is don't make the silo, make it work in kind of a unified way, right? It's a very important strategy to be able to allow yourself to grow your organizational expertise in a more unified manner as opposed to bifurcating it. The second aspect is once you're starting to embrace cloud native, one of the key aspects that cloud native enables is the ability to build features quickly. So you can innovate faster, you do CI/CD, you release quickly, and thereby you make your users happy. And so the cycle of users asking for a feature or needing a feature or an enhancement and it reaching the user really shrinks, right? It goes very, very quickly. If you think about what really is making this change from say 10 years ago, it would take many, many months to almost a year, like nine months to one year to rack and stack machines you know, many years ago, because there would be such specialized hardware, at least all of that, right? Now it's all commodity. It's very quick to rack and stack, or you go to the public cloud, it's one API, you get it in minutes, right? So if it takes nine months to one year, you can build a lot of software in that time. But if it's taking minutes to a few days, you can't build much. So the bottleneck has shifted from procuring these machines to being able to build software very quickly. So the second thing to think about is the organizational expertise, all of that from the perspective of building and releasing quickly. And so the database itself has to be modern enough to support, you know, a variety of different environments, CICD, like, you know, CICD style deployments, staging, test, dev, and production, and, and all of that. So I think that's a, a second fundamental component. And the third thing is in the sea of change, you want some familiarity, right? Relational databases are most common. So, so think about what is it that your organization can get served well without changing everything about the database. Don't change the API. If you change everything, then it'll take a long time for people to get productive. So 
keep the parts that need to be the same the same, but there are some places where it's critical to embrace change. So hopefully that gives some ideas to think about. Speaking of not changing data, metadata was a term that came out rather almost along the lines of virtualization. What would you say are recommendations for metadata management strategy? Where you have, as we started looking at, heterogeneous databases stored somewhere else in multiple locations, multiple types as well, since we have uh, both structured and unstructured data these days. So on the metadata front, like there's a few important things, right? The metadata has to be always available. So that's like a super critical thing about metadata. Like not all data is maybe accessed, like it depends on the query pattern and what people are looking for, but almost all metadata is often always accessed, right? In order to figure out where the data is. So, so it's important to make sure that metadata is highly consistent, highly available. You can get it with very low latency because a metadata lookup is often a means to an end. So it's intermediate processing. It's not the final end. So that means it has to be very quick. So these are some of the things to look for, like irrespective of the the location, whether it runs in a public cloud, private cloud, it has to be universally accessible. It has to be highly available. It has to be highly consistent and and low latency, high performance, right? So these are some of the core characteristics of metadata. The thing I would add on is that, like, you know, we are increasingly getting into a microservices style architecture. And that's primarily because people want velocity of different applications and services. They want to build it very quickly. So there's a lot of microservices each backed by what they call a two pizza box team. So anywhere from four to eight people that can build very quickly and they expose APIs and contracts to the external world, right? Like to their other consumers, other teams, end users, whatever it is, right? So in this kind of a world, it's very important to carefully think through the metadata strategy. Is it shared? Is it denormalized and sent to each? So it's, it's also important to think about those aspects as well, I'd say. Our original topic is future-proofing your database strategy. So in that context, how does an organization, whether it's a CIO, CTO, or the database architects, if if they still exist, how do they choose the right database for them? And is there such a thing as one database uh, for all cases? I think this is a great question. I'll give you some maybe gentle thoughts, but I can give you a couple of examples as well, right? Like so, and that that might help. Like and so, in terms of general thoughts, one database to do everything would be very nice, but is not quite where we are. <laughs> so there is definitely going to be a need for a portfolio of databases, right? So that's the first part. But the second part is if you choose too many databases in the portfolio that are very similar in their feature set or like like more than you need to, then you're going to run into the trouble of over silo and slowing yourself down. So the answer is not one. The answer is not many. The answer is somewhere in the middle, right? And, and that's what makes it a harder problem to solve because there is no simple answer. By way of examples, right? Like, um, so your data may be made to do different things, right? You might have a transactional system that, you know, is basically an application that an end user is interacting with. Or it could be like machine generated data where you need low latency access of data. Or it could be AI or some of those type of systems which are helping end users under the hood and really delivering value. Or it might be analytic systems that really do, you know, like reporting and that type of stuff. So so there's a spectrum, right? Now, in each of this, I think it's important to pick a database that has enough range and can and do a a number of things and not pick many databases for each one of these things. I think that is probably more important. Like if you put all of this into one database, it won't perform well. And if you put for each of these use cases, multiple databases, well, that's trouble too. So like, like for example, when we work with a lot of a lot of large companies, like at, at Yugabyte DB, like we generally are interested in serving the transactional database segment. Like that's really the segment that we go after. And that's what users evaluate us for. And there are some number of use cases that 
that we can really serve when it comes to machine-generated data and AI and ML and that type. So it's really this area where end users are interacting. It has to be low latency. There is a component of scale, but you need transactional consistency of data. So that is the area that, that we focus on. But our strategy and what we see is that we need to provide reasonable range in the sense we do whatever, say, Postgres does. We give all of those APIs to make sure that our end users really get the value out of it, like they can do most of what Postgres does with with a Yugabyte DB. But it is cloud neutral, it's scalable, it's available, all of that stuff. So that means they're able to power a good chunk of those use cases, but they do have to add other databases into their portfolio, right? Like for analytics, for, for other things. Speaking of Yugabyte, I understand Yugabyte is primarily catering to the organizations uh, that are specific to the cloud or cloud native. Can I say it that way? Yeah, cloud native, but public or private cloud, both. Oh. So for organizations that choose to be cloud only, get about the on-prem people, uh, yeah. given that they will likely be using multiple SaaS applications, whether CRM, supply chain management, even their HR, and not to mention also probably data protection strategies uh, will be different depending on the use cases. What should be the approach that will help them decide which data architecture and data strategy best fits the scenario or the use case? So if they're using a SaaS application, well, the decision will be, so it, well, it depends. Right? There's two ways I can answer that question. So sometimes SaaS providers give the choice of the database back to the organization. But in many cases, SaaS providers don't. They just simply subsume the database and what you get is the SaaS applications, APIs or UI or something, right? So if it is the latter where it's all subsumed, it's important not to think about the database, but to think about what does that SaaS application, what are its characteristics? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, database is a means to an end. And if the overall application that's being delivered for an enterprise to consume has those characteristics, well, then it doesn't matter how they do it. right? But it's important to look at some of those, like how do they ensure uptime? How do they ensure that when there are upgrades, for example, of their fleet, database, software, whatever it is, that there won't be any downtime that will still be available? Their SLAs will still be good. Or how do they move data across different regions? How do they deal with disasters and failures? Or how do they protect data? So some of these are important to understand from the end-to-end -end context. For places where these enterprises have to directly deal with databases and specifically in the cloud, right? Some things become extremely important, right? Like the first thing is availability, right? Cloud is a failure-prone environment. Failure is the norm in the cloud, right? It will happen and it has happened. It won't stop. And that's because that's how the cloud providers pass back the savings because they use the same commodity hardware in large quantities and they are prone to failing. And that means one of the things that has to explicitly be architected against is how do you deal with failures. So that's important to look for in a database. Similarly, the other big superpower of the cloud, the real superpower is on-demand scaling. So you can get a 16 core machine. You can say, give me five of those. And you can say, no, no, now give me five more of those. And then you can give back five. And you can now change your five node 16 cores to five node eight cores and make it smaller. So you can do all sorts of things and you can do it you know, every hour, no problem. And that is the power of the cloud. You don't need to get the biggest machine to handle your peak systems and keep sitting there. You can actually change this over time gracefully. And so the database that you're picking should be able to elastically scale up and scale down and scale out and scale in in order to handle the ebb and flow of the workload itself, right? So like, for example, we have a number of uh, retailers that are using Yugabyte DB and the peak season for them, which is through, say, September, October through mid-Jan, they will scale the database out like crazy and run it at pretty high uh, levels. And after Jan, they'll scale it back down to normal levels and then they're running it as a 
regular database, right? And so this type of uh, concept is very, very important in the cloud because otherwise you are not getting the ROI from what the cloud has to offer, right? Like otherwise the cost becomes more expensive than not. So these are some of the things to think about when choosing a database when being cloud, cloud only, public cloud only. We've heard of the word, the rise of the democratized data, and uh, some predict that it, this will force enterprises to reinvert their data architecture frameworks. But what and how should CIOs and data architects, if they, again, if they still exist, consider as regards to their enterprise data architectures so that they are able to future-proof in some shape or form against evolving business needs? Yeah, so it is definitely that era. That era is definitely coming up. And that's because we're just in the starting point of realizing what all can be done with data. Like, for example, AI is pretty new, right? And AI has a lot of applications. Now, AI frameworks will expect data in some format. Now, if it makes it very difficult to export your data or to connect your existing systems to an AI-based system, then, you know, all your work is in actually making that connection and very little value is being derived from, you know, the AI system itself. So, but when you have the, the, you know, the freedom of data or the, the, the democratization of data where all the systems understand data or data APIs, then it makes it a lot easier to interconnect systems or to swap out one system for another if there's a newer innovation that comes in and so on and so forth, right? So, so this is actually pretty critical and it's happening on all sides. Like, for example, in terms of the analytics side, let me take that example here. You find that like, you know, a JSON format, a Parquet format, like some of these are becoming very, very standard as data format in order to do exchange of data across different systems, right? If you look at the transactional side, like in fact, um, the Postgres API seems to be winning hands down, right? Like, you know, you find a lot of databases, vendors, everybody doubling down on Postgres. Postgres is growing incredibly like uh, fast and that's becoming the API through which a lot of data is accessed, right? So, and, and so on and so forth. So, so whatever it is, like, you know, whether it's a database API, whether it's a data exchange format, it's pretty critical to think about like, you know, having, you know, standard ways of access Accessing stuff like uh, because you know you never know when the next system will come out that you would have to plug this all of this data into or a subset of data into and uh, you know and thereby like even change data capture is becoming such a critical feature like and the change data capture not just in capturing the changes and giving it out in a custom API but being able to push it out in a standard format like even to say a WebSocket or something that a microservice can can consume right so all of these data exchange formats are becoming super super critical. We've covered the technical aspects of databases, data strategies, data architecture. What about the skill set issue? There is a proliferation of databases out there, different ways of architecting your both your applications as well as your data. How can CIOs get a handle on this issue of skill sets, expertise and experiences that somehow or another people are saying there's not enough of them out there in the market today? That is 100% right. Like that, that is actually a real challenge. I think there's the issue falls in two or three categories, like two categories. Say the first one, the real core of the problem is that it sometimes the tooling is not necessarily super different. It's the mindset, right? It's the cultural practices around how you do uh, a lot of implementations that has changed. Like, like uh, as an example, when you go to cloud native architectures, it's very important to think about, say, API first, or it's very important to think about CI/CD or or a number. 
of these like like fail fail first or failures being the norm. It's very important to think about these upfront. And so what does that mean? That means that what was traditionally done in a certain amount of time, let's say it took, I'm just making this up, but let's say it took three months to release a service before the first service. Well, it might take six months or nine months to release the first service now because you have to build the blueprint for every one of these CI, CD and API first, all of that. It takes much longer, right? And it looks like you're going really slow. But the reality is you're not going to be building one or two or three services. You're going to be building a hundred or 500 or a thousand services because you know that's what digitization is all about, right? It's about building a massive number of microservices, features, workloads, services, etc. And so it's important to get the blueprint down right and then repeat the blueprint as efficiently as possible, right? So, so the skill set for that is definitely not there. And so like folks have to, like, I think one of the things that CIOs I think should invest in and, and, and as a company, we have a university that we run for free. Like, and so, and I'm sure a lot of other people are doing it. There's a lot of resources out there, but CIOs have to really think about investing in their own people and investing in their own people from the mindset of, you know, it's not about learn something to show the result immediately. It's learn something to understand the blueprint, which will eventually give the results. Right? So it's very important to think about that. A second thing I would say is different people have different strengths in the workforce. Um, some people have a lot of knowledge in their existing systems, and, and they're probably, you know, sometimes better off working on those systems. And, you know, it's better where the expertise is not available to bring people from outside or perhaps to train a few of the new and upcoming people who don't have as much skill set in any one system in order to go towards the, the cloud native side. So start think of, thinking about experimenting with people who have a still learning phase where you can influence them easily versus, you know, people have a lot of knowledge and their use is better elsewhere, right? Their impact will be bigger elsewhere. So if you put everybody in the same thing, so these are some of the things that's, that are important for CIOs to think about. Karthik, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you, Alan, for having me. And was, uh, I really had fun. Thank you. That was Karthik Raghunathan, co-founder and CTO for Yugabyte DV on the topic of future-proofing your database strategy. You are listening into Podcasts for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editorsatsociety.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CIO. Bye for now. Thank you.